that video is so intense, man. <laughs> I'm scared to preach. Um, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be in the first six verses as we explore what is this last counterfeit gospel. Through this series, we've been exploring things that Christians are tempted to believe that sound almost true, but not only are they actually not true, they can be very, very dangerous to us. Many of the other counterfeit gospels we've explored over the past few weeks have to do with how we think of ourselves and what we're after, what our desires are. Today's, it really does consider or think about what we think about other, other people, right? We are in a place in our culture where we very easily trip into judgmentalism. Uh, something happens out there and immediately we break off into tribes and we polarize and everybody's got to take a side and everybody fights and that's actually a pretty dangerous thing and we're going to be exploring the danger of that today because even God's people can sometimes assume wait we're God's people we have the truth we're right and we begin to, to point fingers and trip into the same problem that we observe in the culture so we're going to step back from that a minute and hear what Jesus has to say about it in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, one of my favorite um, series of television commercials came out about 20 years ago. It was by a mortgage company that I don't even think exists anymore uh, called AmeriQuest. And they did a series of television advertisements called Don't Judge Too Quickly. Um, my favorite one from this series, it, it featured a, a man, he's coming home from work, coming to his apartment, and he intends to fix a really nice meal for his wife. So he goes into his kitchen and he's chopping vegetables with a big knife and he's cooking tomato sauce there in a saucepan on the stove. And meanwhile, the cat, a big white cat, gets up on the stove and knocks the saucepan into the floor. And then the cat trips into the red sauce there on the floor. Well, as he is reaching down to, to assist the cat and begin to clean up the mess, his wife opens the door. And what she sees is her husband holding a cat covered in tomato sauce in one hand and a big knife in the other. Of course, the thesis is there, don't judge too quickly. And that's a pretty accurate snapshot of where we are as a culture, right? Take out your phone. Don't do it now, but look, look through social media. And what do you see? You see mischaracterizations. You see quotes taken out of context. You see uh, highly edited videos, even deep fakes, right? And then you see polarization and brash accusations. We're being judgmental, openly, brazenly. Even as on one side we say, don't judge me, nobody can judge me, right? On the other side, we're judging everything and everybody. Now, this is a little bit touchy and it occurs across the, you know, the spectrum of our culture. It occurs on all sides. But you, remember, you may remember in 2019, uh, there was a teenager named Nicholas Sandman. He was a student at Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky. He was on a trip to Washington, D.C. with his friends, and a video broke, right? And here is this teenager, and he's kind of smiling, looking kind of smug, standing over this older Native American man beating a drum, and all of his friends were kind of joining and kind of dancing, looking kind of, kind of looked like they were making fun of him. And then like within hours, it all broke loose right across the nation. How dare this young man treat uh, this Native American in such a dehumanizing, degrading way? How dare those teenagers punish that young man, punish that school? And there were protests and eruptions. 
And then about two days later, there was more video, and I don't know if we ever got the whole story, but it seems that Nicholas and his friends were acting the way they were acting because they were scared. They had been kind of cornered by some aggressive protesters and put in an awkward spot, and they were just nervously trying to keep their cool and not cause an incident. But here we were, the whole country. We snapped to judgment, and we chose sides, and we jumped in on a controversy that might not have been a controversy at all. And that's just kind of where we are, right? Um, it doesn't just happen out there, right? It also happens in here. We, too, are very prone to make assumptions, to jump to a verdict, to pass judgment. We do it with, like, news items. We do it with people in our lives, attaching the worst motives. And here's the thing. And here's where this is a counterfeit gospel. When we take it up as our right, our place, to pass judgment on the hearts of people, right? We're believing a counterfeit gospel because we're putting ourselves in the place of God. We're doing something only he can do. So this last, counter, this last counterfeit gospel we're considering is just this. It's my job to judge. And it's dangerous. Jesus' words to us in Matthew chapter 7 are um, jarring, and a little bit confusing because he's so direct on the issue. And we're going to try to connect together three ideas that are here in the passage to not only clarify what he's saying, but maybe to a degree resolve the tension. But I actually think the tension that Jesus raises is purposeful. So listen how direct Jesus is on this issue. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This comes from Matthew's rendering of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you've noticed over this entire series, not all, but a pretty good bulk of our preaching has come from this sermon. This is like a Jesus epic teaching moment where if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find that he sets an impossibly high moral standard, right? To make us see ourselves in the true light that we are not righteous. We don't get there. We don't attain that. And then he says that we should ask and we should seek and we should knock. And what is it that we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking for? It's the righteousness that only God can give us in and through Jesus Christ. And then as the sermon concludes, Jesus begins to apply this to our relationships, how we think about other people. And if you want to see like the summary statement or like the conclusion, look to chapter 7, verse 12. And there you see Jesus says, so do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We call that the golden rule. But one of the ways we obey the golden rule is found in these first six verses of chapter 7. 
Jesus says. You want to treat people the right way. Well, one way to treat people the right way is to think about them the right way. And a way to think about them the right way is to refuse to judge unfairly. We, as Christian people, as Christ followers, we refuse to be unfairly critical because we're not God. We are not God. God is the judge, not me. God is the judge. Again, just hear how direct Jesus is in verses 1 and 2. So plain, judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here, Jesus says that judgment is reciprocal in nature. The way that you can avoid being judged is not to judge, because if you do judge, the way that you judge will be judged onto you. Growing up, I had a, um, I had a Nerf boomerang. And a Nerf boomerang is very different than a standard like single wing V boomerang. A Nerf boomerang has three wings and a triad. And it's made out of foam, but at the end of each wing, there's a plastic button uh, for weight and balance, I suppose. Um, you, you, man, you can take one of these things and you can throw it with all your might. You can give it everything you got. And it'll go out there a good ways, and it'll go up there a good way, and then it comes back to you from the back, from behind. There's really only one reason I have such a clear recollection of owning one of these as a kid. Because I would give that thing everything I had. Something would distract me. I would lose sight of it. I, you know, maybe the dog runs out, wham, in the back of it. In fact, right now, you could probably like sort through the hair on the back of my head and find scars left from a Nerf boomerang when I was a kid. This is how Jesus says judgment works. What we throw at other people circles around back to us. And, and this can be understood on two levels. And I really do believe Jesus is rhetorically sophisticated enough to intend both of them. The first level at which this happens can be understood as the human social level. And we know how this works naturally. Playground rules when you're in fourth grade, right? If you're a bully, eventually someone's going to bully you. That's the way it works. If you go online, if you're a jerk on the internet, eventually someone's going to be a jerk to you. It's like the self-regulating mechanism of human social behavior, right? This is how you survived middle school. This is how it works, right? So I think he does intend it on that level, that at the social level, what we toss on others comes back to us. But I think Jesus is also taking this up a level, and he's speaking in the divine passive voice. He's inserting God without saying so directly. In other words, the way that you pass judgment on others, the, way, the standards to which you hold others, God will hold you to those standards. And there's a reason that's bad news. That's bad news because you can't possibly live up to the standards by which you judge other people because you're not that fair. You're not that impartial. You're not that unbiased. Only God is. And this is why the sin of judgmentalism actually is a counterfeit gospel, because it's idolatry. In fact, it's blasphemy, because what am I doing? I am putting myself in a place that only God can fill. I'm taking on myself a responsibility that only God can complete. And this is why Jesus says, do 
not judge. Now here, we probably need to pause, time out, take a step back and try to get a wide-angle perspective on this. Why would Jesus be so clear and direct on this? Of all the things he could say here in this great sermon, like, why this thing? Two reasons, really. First of all, what's in view here is the justice of God. God is just. God is committed to complete justice. God is the fair and impartial judge. So Jesus here is not, I don't want you to imagine that he's somehow watering down sin or minimizing righteousness. He's not erasing the idea of judgment. No, it's the opposite. God is so committed to judgment that it requires us to leave it in his hands. Romans chapter 12 and 13, there Paul quotes the words of Jesus and reflects echoes of the Old Testament when he says, don't take personal revenge, don't take vengeance for yourself, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In Romans 13, Paul goes on to explain that God has established, you know, human authorities in the here and now, and these human authorities serve to hold back the tide of evil, however imperfectly, they don't get get it right all the time, but to hold back the tide of evil here and now, because there's a great day coming when God will judge the living and the dead. I can withhold final judgment. I don't have to sit in judgment over someone else's heart because God is just. God is just. Secondly, it really is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that gives Jesus reason to be so direct. Think about this. The one who tells us not to judge is the one who died to rescue us from judgment. He's the one who died, and if we will believe him by faith, we can escape the judgment to come. And if Jesus is that merciful, if he's that patient toward me, then I have no choice but to listen and obey and submit when he's this direct with me and he says, don't judge. Don't do it. Don't judge. So how can we avoid tripping into the sin of judgmentalism that we see all around us well the first step is really plain just remember you're not the judge that's god and if you're not the judge it's not your place to render a final verdict secondly we have to remember that we're not perfect we're not perfect i want you to just kind of sit in this goofy illustration jesus gives beginning in verse three just absorb this why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother "Uh, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is an intentionally funny. You guys aren't chuckling, but I could imagine when Jesus first gave this illustration with the crowd around him, they were probably kind of laughing at it. This is an intentionally funny, kind of ridiculous picture from a carpenter shop to show us the sheer silliness of hypocrisy. I want you to imagine that you are maybe with a friend working in a, in a carpenter shop or in a wood shop. Uh, maybe you're cutting planks for flooring or finishing cabinets or like I was doing this week, 
trying to finish some thresholding for new flooring that we put down in our kitchen, but math and angles aren't really my thing. And so what should have been a 20 minute job was like three hours, like millimeters matter, right? I had, I had no idea. And so uh, I want you to imagine that you're in a wood shop and maybe you're, you're cutting planks and something terrible happens. There on the table saw, the plank jumps and it jumps and it jumps from the saw into your eye. That's kind of bad, okay? But at the same time, while this big log, the whole plank jumped into your eye, a little speck, right? A little splinter got into your friend's eye because you guys didn't wear goggles that day, right? But somehow, with the plank in your eye, you still think it's your responsibility to help your friend. You see the inversion? Who should be helping who? And this is Jesus' point. It is both inappropriate and impossible for you to help another person when your problem is worse than theirs. That's what we call hypocrisy. This would be like me rolling down my window and yelling at the guy that I think has road rage. Wait. Right? Or... Maybe it would be like me giving financial advice to people the day after I filed for bankruptcy. Or like my Uncle Theron growing up who was always demanding that me and my brother not smoke cigarettes as he finished off his fifth pack of camels for the day, right? This is what Jesus says. He's saying the, the problem isn't so much the error itself, that's a problem. The problem is the person with the error still taking it on themselves quite arrogantly to correct someone else. This, he says, is the problem. The ludicrous nature of the illustration reveals the ludicrous nature of the behavior described. When I was um, pastor of a country church in Kentucky, we had Man, we had two older fellows in that church, and they just had a long history of kind of going at each other, you know, just always picking at each other. And it, it, came, it came to a height. It all kind of boiled over one week when the county road department was repaving this road that was way, way out in the county. And they finished, and they had some leftover asphalt, but evidently it just wasn't worth the time or effort to return the asphalt to, I don't know, wherever they get asphalt. And so they went and knocked on one old man's door and asked, hey, would you like us to use the leftovers to smooth out the transition between your gravel driveway and the newly paved country road? He's like, sure, why not, right? So they did. Well, the other old man just happened to be serving his first term as a, as a county magistrate. And when he heard this, he flipped his lid. And here you have two older men, one of them accusing the other one of being like a freeloader on the local taxpayers, and then this one accusing the first of being some sort of government tyrant, right? Now, the problem here was not like an actual discussion over the proper use of public goods. That's the conversation they should have had. The problem here is when they took an incident that was ultimately a misunderstanding and used it to attack the other's character there were logs in both of their eyes and this is the kind of hypocrisy that jesus condemns and we need to notice that jesus here uses the term brother he uses the term brother 
And he's not speaking of immediate families. He's speaking of the way that we use the term brother or sister within the church, within the faith community, right? And so what's, what's he saying? What does hypocrisy do in a faith community? Hypocrisy breaks friendships. And then hypocrisy severs social circles because the problem requires people to choose sides. And then when people choose sides, there's a fracture in the community, and the next thing you know, the church is divided, right? So much of the disunity that we experience among God's people today, even among local churches, is rooted in hypocritical judgmentalism. Notice, Jesus does not say never to remove the speck. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't do it hypocritically, right? That's the difference. So Jesus says that the the solution here is to first take the log out of your own eye. Recognize you aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. Be sure you are walking in the pathway of repentance. The way for me not to unfairly judge, like all you parents out there, whatever I see you doing, is to maybe remember that I've made a few mistakes myself, right? And, And to walk in repentance, and then maybe we can have a conversation at some point. The best way for me not to go off on the fellow at the four-way stop that's right outside of my neighborhood that's actually a five-way stop and nobody seems to understand that, right, is to maybe remember that I've actually messed that one up a few times myself. The best way for me to avoid unfairly criticizing others is to remember all the ways that they might quite fairly criticize me. So to avoid this counterfeit gospel of judgmentalism, we need to remember that we're not the judge. We're not perfect, but thirdly, we do have a responsibility that Jesus is not saying, like, this is a free-for-all. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to make any moral choices at all. You do you, and I'll do me, and everything's fine. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. This is why verse 6 seems jarring. It seems disjointed. The the metaphor changes, the imagery changes, that's on purpose. That's on purpose, and Jesus is reminding us that in all of this, we have a responsibility. Look at verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Oh, it seems awkward that Jesus would say this, connected to what he just said about logs and specks and eyes, but he's providing a balance. Jesus is saying, hey, 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 don't hear me say something I didn't actually say, right? Don't do that. Just because I'm not the final judge doesn't mean I don't have to be discerning. Doesn't mean I, I don't have to be wise, right? We are still called to agree with God on matters of righteousness and sin and judgment. And yes, there are times in our lives and sometimes you just got to make a call right? We're not being dismissed from all responsibility here. He's telling us not to execute our responsibility unfairly, but to do so carefully and in discerning ways. Specifically here, Jesus charges us not to throw away treasured things. And he talks about pigs and dogs. We think of dogs as like Man, they're so cool. I want a dog. Uh, One day, I want to have a real dog. I want to have a golden retriever. Um, But right now, I have um, 
a 15-year-old, 12-pound, diabetic, miniature poodle. His first name is Buster, and I think his last name should be Kardashian. He, he is a prima donna. He has clear expectations. Things have to be a certain way. And when Christmas time comes around and my daughter puts his Christmas sweater on him, he thinks he's the most beautiful thing ever to walk planet Earth. And he looks like a gremlin. I mean, it's just, he smells bad. I take him to the vet every year, and the vet's like, dog's still alive? Now, I mean, when he, di- when he got diabetes, the, the vet said, oh, about six months. That was three and a half years ago. So, so one day I'm going to have a real dog, right? But the conception of dogs in Jesus' time was very different than ours. Uh, dogs were like pigs, unclean, not domesticated, usually vicious. And so the image here goes like this. If you have a really nice, beautiful, valuable necklace and you throw it into a pigsty, it's probably not going to be valuable for very long or intact, right? If you take a big raw steak and you see a pack of wild dogs and you toss that steak to them, they're going to rip that steak to shreds and then they're going to come after you as the source of that steak, right? So what is Jesus saying? Protect valuable things. And how do we connect this idea here back to what he says about not judging and specks and logs and eyes. Protect valuable things. He's telling us, don't take unnecessary risks, especially when it comes to the most precious thing we have, and that's the message of the gospel, right? That we ought not engage in fruitless, needless arguments, controversies, whatever, that aren't going to end or go in a redeeming direction at all. Um, This sounds probably more profound than it should, um, but I just kind of want to clue you in. You don't have to post your every thought on Facebook (laughs) or Twitter or Instagram or or whatever. Um, and, And honestly, I think I probably... Uh, learned a difficult lesson in 2015. I'm, I'm far more careful with those things than I used to be. I was probably like chief oversharer five or six years ago. Um, but you guys remember the, the tragedy in Charleston at Mother Emanuel Church, that awful shooting. And here we've had more recently, just, just, just gutting, right? Well, and, and the results of that tragedy in Charleston, I, I, I I posted something, and it was just, you know, mercy to the victims, justice to the perpetrator, rooted in in the gospel. I thought it was clear, careful. And I mean, within just a few minutes, on one side, folks I don't even know and I've never met were calling me like a a leftist whack. And then some on the other side were were calling me a bigot. And I was like, whoa, 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 Was was I not clear? Did not come across the right way. Maybe people are just looking for a reason to, I don't know. But I do know it gave me great pause. And it made me think, not all the time, but sometimes that's just not worth it, right? I need to be careful in how I say, portray, use the most precious truths 
we don't throw our pearls before pigs, right? So I think the calling from Jesus is for us to be really discerning and really careful and even really strategic in how we make choices concerning what is most valuable to us. And I would suggest in the context of modern Christianity that this means in our efforts to evangelize and reach people for Jesus, this is why relationships are key, right? If I build a relationship with a neighbor who's far from God and I establish trust with him, and when I share with him the most personable, most personable, most personal, valuable thing I know, there I've gained a hearing and I'm not throwing it away. Does that make sense? Jesus calling us to be wise and discerning. Let me close out with four thoughts. And I want these to kind of hang in your mind. What do we learn here from these six verses in Matthew? In short, just this. One, I must quite tenaciously avoid unfairly judging others because I'm not God. Secondly, I must humbly seek a fair assessment of myself because I'm not perfect. Thirdly, we must engage in gospel witness carefully because we have a responsibility. And fourthly, listen, our final hope, the liberating truth here, is that there is a resurrected, risen Lord Jesus. And he is returning. He is returning to judge the living and the dead, to redeem all things to the Father, to make all things right, and to make all things new. And in view of that, when Jesus says, hey, hey, in the present time, tap the brakes a little bit. You don't have to conclude over everybody's heart. You don't have to have the final say. I think of that command, and I think of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he will do, and suddenly, I'm free. I'm free. Do not judge, lest you'll be judged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, the clarity of it, the convicting nature of it. Um, we thank you even for the tensions it raises in our lives and makes us aware. Lord, we thank you today that you, Lord, are the judge. And we thank you that in Christ, you've rescued us from the judgment to come. And you can judge us by faith in him. Uh, we pray today for the grace to walk by faith and obey the commands of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.